Psalm 37, we're going to read a few verses and then get into a, a, a message, a lesson that I think will be helpful, hopefully. Let's stand together if you're able to stand. Psalm 37, and I want to begin reading in verse 1. Notice it says that it's a psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. There's another place in this long chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, where it says, I've been young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Thou Verily thou shalt be fed. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now let's skip down to verse 34 where it says, Wait on the Lord. And keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that as we spend some time in this wonderful psalm, that, Lord, we would be encouraged from your word, Lord, to trust in you, to wait on the Lord, to delight ourselves in the Lord. And Lord, not to fret over the evil, the wicked, the workers of iniquity. And so Lord, I pray you'd help us to have the right mindset, the right frame of mind. Work in our hearts, we pray tonight. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, wanna, I just want to look back at this passage in the beginning and emphasize a word that is repeated several times. It's, it's seen in verse 7, where it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Wait patiently for Him. And then in verse 9 it says, uh, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And then in verse 34, it says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. So you, you see that that's a theme in this psalm of wait, wait, W-A-I-T, not W-E-I-G-H-T, wait. Wait on the Lord. That means, uh, and so, you know, when we think of waiting, when I think of waiting, I, I tend to think of doing nothing. But this really has a lot of stuff that we're to do while we're waiting. If I was going to uh, title the message, I'd say, what to do while you wait. 
Because the Bible, I think this psalm and David's given us some real insight. And so we're going to think about that challenge and command. Really, I believe it is a command, not just here, but numerous times in the Bible, to wait. What does it mean? It's not, is it just idle time if I have to wait? And I'm, I want to tell you that waiting is not always easy for me. And I know some other people that waiting is not always easy for them. Wherever you're waiting, waiting in traffic, um, waiting to hear the results of an election, it's not always easy. Waiting on your husband when you and the kids are in the car and he's still getting ready. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's ever happened, but it's doubtful. Waiting on the result of a medical exam that you've had and you're anxious about what it might reveal. Waiting. A child waiting for Christmas Day to arrive. Waiting on this coronavirus to go away. We're not always good at waiting. Um, And David knew something about this. And David was writing in this psalm about his... Really, his desire that the wicked would be judged. When will the wicked get their due? When are they going to be judged? He wanted, look in verse 2, it says, talking about the workers of iniquity. Verse 1 says, be thou, be, Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Verse 2, For they shall soon be cut off, or cut down, excuse me, like the grass. And wither as the green herb. You know, the grass is only green for a while. And then it'll fall will come and winter will come and it'll be gone. And he says, the wicked are going to be cut off. But David wanted to see God judge the wicked now, if not sooner. He wanted the wicked gone. He wanted God to destroy them. And David, if you'll think with me for a moment, David had some experience in his life when his own destiny really was uncertain. First of all, you know, when Saul was the first king and and disqualified himself from being the king of Israel, uh, God sent Samuel to Jesse's house and Jesse uh, had these sons. uh, David was one of them. And Samuel anointed David when when he was just like a teenager, probably. Imagine that. You got three guys on the back row. Think about that. When David was anointed to become the king, it's, it's highly possible that he may not even been 20 years old or maybe about that age. So he's, he is the successor who has already been anointed to, to succeed uh, King Saul. And, of course, we know about the story of, of how Jesse sent David to the Valley of Elah. And there the Philistines were mocking God, etc. And David had an interest. David believed that God could handle this, this giant. And sure enough, David, God helped David. God slew the giant, used David as his instrument. So this young man... Uh, now who's going to be the king and, da- and Saul is the king and, and when Saul heard about David's uh, popularity he was jealous and he began to 
hunt David. He's going to kill David. And so David spent a lot of time just hiding in caves and here and there. And we're, what I'm saying is, you know, and he had opportunities, really. I mean, he had opportunities to kill Saul, but he never took them. He knew that would not be the right thing to do. But the point is, David knew something about waiting, waiting on God's timing, waiting on God to work. It's not always easy to wait. And even when David became king and Absalom, his son, betrayed him and stole the kingdom, David left Jerusalem, one of the saddest places in the Bible to me that when I read about it, David and his men walking barefooted, weeping as they left Jerusalem. And, um, and again, this wasn't right. I mean, my point is the, the author, the human instrument that wrote this knew something about having to wait when he was being treated unjustly. When the wicked were reigning, when, when iniquity was prevailing. And, and so he's, he knew something about waiting. And David writes in this because God is helping him, I believe. And he pens these words, this psalm, that whatever he felt about his circumstances, he couldn't change them. However he felt about running from Saul, he couldn't change that. However he felt about Absalom, and he was brokenhearted about Absalom's betrayal, however he felt about that, he couldn't change those. And so he's, he's saying he was commanded to wait. At times in his life he had to wait. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Not just wait. You know, you've probably, think about this, you could realize that this has happened uh, to you before. You can wait and not be patiently waiting. Matter of fact, many times in my life, I've waited impatiently. Haven't I? No, I haven't. <laughs> I knew you'd say no. You can wait, and I, but, the, but the command is not just to wait, it's to wait patiently. So, you know, it's like, it's like Martha... When she and Mary had asked Jesus to come because Lazarus was sick and they knew it was serious and Lazarus died and Jesus got there and they're, according to their calendar, very late. And what did Martha say? She'd been waiting. She's waiting on Jesus. And what did she say? If you had just been here, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Our brother would be alive. Our brother would not have died. And so... She was waiting, but she wasn't patiently waiting. And so this is this command to wait is not just for David. It's for all of us. And so the question, though, is what are we to do while we're waiting? When there are things that, that we would like to change, when there are things that aren't going our way, when there are things that are out of our control. There are a lot of things that are out of our control. They're not out of God's control, but they're out of our control. What are we to do? Well, there are two things I want to focus, uh, just mention, really. And then I want to talk about things that we're to do from our text. But first thing I want to mention is what we're not to do. Look in verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. The first thing we're not to do is we're not to fret. We're not to fret over evildoers. You know what the Bible says? Now, the word fret means to be anxious, to be upset, uh, to be angry. Um, look in verse 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself 
because of him who prospereth in his way. Not in God's way, but in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't fret. Don't be disturbed when the wicked are prospering. Don't, be, don't let that get to you. When you see people, and people think like that. Here I am, I'm trying to raise my family, I'm trying to pay my bills, I'm trying to live for the Lord, and it seems like all these wicked people, things are just always going their way. The Bible says don't let that get in your head. Don't fret about that. Verse 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. These people are sinning, Basically, what the psalmist is saying, these people are sinning, but don't you sin by trying to judge them yourself. That's, that's not what, that's what, where your job is. I love the verse that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. God will take care of stuff. Aren't you glad about that? So we're not to fret. <coughs> Secondly, verse 1 says, we're not to be envious. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the wicked, the workers of iniquity. Don't allow yourself to desire what they have. Don't want, we don't want what they have. You know, there's a tendency to say, why am I the only one going through this? Why are these people not going through this? But this psalm, if you had the time, we had the time to take the time. This psalm has a lot to do with the benefits that we enjoy as Christians both in time and eternity, that the wicked have no access to. They have no, they have no part in. And so we're not to envy what they have. Look in verse 26. It says, talking about God, He is ever merciful and lendeth, and His seed is blessed. God takes care of people. Um, God, God takes care of His own. I mean, I don't think anybody here would do this. But people in this country, they envy people who are successful. They envy, you know, Hollywood celebrities. They envy these athletes that, you know, have the attention. But I want to tell you, Hollywood celebrities have nothing that could make us one bit happier. Don't look at, don't envy, don't envy those in the world. Young people, that's, that's kind of a trap, really. You get to think, and I think maybe that's a little bit of what got into the head of the, the, the younger son in the uh, prodigal son, you know. He looked at the world. He wanted that. Look what they've got. And quite honestly, I think that's part of what happened to me when I was in my teenage years. I thought, you know, so I'd, I'd sit in church just like this, just like you. I'd sit in church and sing these same songs. And... Um, and for whatever reason, you know, I got to thinking, you know, there's, there's, there's something out there to be enjoyed, really. And that was the most foolish line of thinking that I ever got into in my life. Young person, it's foolish. But that, you know what that's doing? That's envying the wicked. You know who you ought to be thankful for and want to be like? It's people that love the Lord, people that serve the Lord, and, and your, your, your godly parents or whatever the case may be. So he says, this is what you're not to do while you're waiting. Don't be worrisome. Don't be fretting. Fret not. And don't be envious. Because our inheritance, look in verse 18. 
Our inheritance, it says, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright. He knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. It's eternal. Verse 28, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. So here's what we're not to do while we're waiting. We need to wait on the Lord, but what we're not to do is to fret or envy. But what are we to do? And I just want to mention a few things in this passage. It's a wonderful chapter. And, um, but what are we instructed to do? Number one, we're to wait. Verse 7, we read this. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Verse 9, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way. First of all, we're to wait. And as I said earlier, we sometimes think of waiting as wasting time. We, we don't like to wait. We don't, but he's not talking about just sitting in traffic. He's talking about waiting on the Lord. Waiting on God to work. Letting God work. Letting God have his way. Being patient with God. Waiting on him to lead. You know why? Because God blesses the people that do that. We, we could all think of examples in the Bible of people who were impatient and resulted in uh, misfortune, really. I mean, I'm thinking about Abraham and Sarah had, had God's promises, every reason to believe God, and yet they got impatient, you know. It's not a, it's not a virtue, and I, I don't know if this is true of... Uh, in every case, but I think as men especially, we like to do things. We like to get things done, you know. Um, so I'm going to wait on the Lord for a little bit, but while I'm waiting, I'm going to be trying to fix this. You know what I'm saying? That's just the nature of men. But we're to wait on God. But not only are we to wait on God, these are things we're to do while we're waiting. Look in verse 3. Trust in the Lord. While we're waiting, we're trusting in the Lord. We're, at, we're, wanting, we're leaning upon the Lord. We want God to have His way. You know, I was, I'm not going to turn to him this morning, but I found it interesting this morning as my wife and I were reading our Bible before we came in uh, to the office. And um, every passage we read, and we're reading through the daily Bible reading uh, guide that the church uses, every, every passage we read, one was about... Um, King Hezekiah, one was about uh, in, from the Psalms, and one of them was from Hebrews. And every one of those passages, uh, in a very timely way, had some lesson about depending upon God when you're, when you're outnumbered or when you're in a, where, where you know you need the Lord's help, when you, you know what I'm saying? saying? Every one of them did. And, I, and so I, I took great comfort in that. What are we to do while we're waiting? We're to depend on God. We're going to trust in the Lord. You know, he, the script, one of the things the scripture teaches us is God will deal with the wicked in his time. Right? Not in my time. Not in your time. But in his time. So we're to trust in the Lord. Look at what verse 2 says. For they, talking about the workers of iniquity, they shall soon be cut down and they're going to wither and again we want things to happen now we you know soon is not fast enough 
Verse 9 repeats this. Look there. For evildoers shall be cut off. So that's, that's God's business. That's in God's hand. It's not in ours. Um, look in verse 12. The wicked plotteth against the just. And they do. And gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him. For he seeth that his day is coming. That's interesting. You know, Psalm 1 has the same, the same sentiment in it. The Lord shall laugh at him. The Lord, the Lord shall laugh at evil, wicked, iniquitous workers trying to carry out their plans. God finds humor in that. You know why? Because he rules and reigns. And he's in control. And I thank God for that. So what do we do? Number one, we're to trust in the Lord. But there's a second thing we're to do. Look in verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. So when we're waiting on the Lord, when we're really depending upon God, when we're refusing to take things into our own hands, when we're trusting in Him, we're not just sitting idle, we're trusting in the Lord and we keep doing the right thing. Trust in the Lord and do good. It's always right to do the right thing. Always. No matter how the election goes, no matter how the coronavirus goes, no matter how uh, our country's going, it's still the right thing to do the right thing. You know, another little conversation my wife and I had today, we were reading in Hebrews chapter 11 about the treatment that God's people have received. And we both at the same time sort of said, you know, we think we have it bad sometimes. I mean, these people have been, have been hunted like animals and beheaded and tortured. and You know what I'm saying? And we feel like we've got it rough sometimes. Um, so we're to trust in the Lord and we're to keep doing the right thing. Because God blesses obedience. Look in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. God blesses Obedience. Verse uh, 27, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Young person, this is a good rule of thumb for our life. Depart from evil, turn away from sin, don't give in to sin, and do good and dwell forevermore. So what do we do while we're waiting? We're trusting in the Lord. <coughs> we're doing good. We're doing what God says. Let me give you another thing. Look in verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Make the Lord your delight. You know, I'm sure for David, he would have delighted in the destruction of his adversaries. That's what he wanted. This would make me happy. This would really cheer me up if all these enemies of the Lord would be uh, destroyed. But the Bible says we're to delight in the Lord. Now think about that tonight. What, what is it that we delight in? You know, because our candidate won, you know, whatever. What do we delight in? There's nothing wrong with delighting in certain things, but our, our chief delight should be in the Lord. You know what that means? That means the, the, the thing that brings us pleasure is our relationship with God. The thing that fulfills us, the thing that brings us meaning and purpose and happiness is the Lord. And you know what? He's worthy of, of delighting. He's always good. No matter, no matter what's going on, God is still 
good. God never changes. He never leaves us. He's always with us. No matter what happens, no matter what the weather is like, if it's, no matter what the season is like, no matter what the election is like, no matter what, no matter how corrupt corruptions around us, He's always with us. His way is perfect. We're to delight in the Lord. And it says there, the verse uh, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God will give you what your heart desires. And I know that most of you know this, or maybe all of us, but I believe this. One of the ways that God gives us our desire is the more we delight in Him, the more we want what He wants. Right? It, it, this is a great life when you think about it. Because God is going to only give us what is good, and God's actually going to work in our heart so what we want is what God wants. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. You not only get to do good, but you get to delight in doing good. Now, I understand there's conflict in people's lives because they're not really sure that God is good or they want what... But I'm telling you, the more you let God have His way in your life, the better this life becomes. So we're to delight in the Lord. And then, just a couple of more things. Look in verse 5. And then he says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Now, that's a very... An interesting word, commit. You know, when you commit to something, you're, uh, you're engaging with it. You're, you are actually uh, becoming a part of it. And the word commit here means to roll it over on. Think about that. Commit means to put it over on. You're committing something. And what are you doing? You're committing yourself to the Lord. We're putting, we're putting our lives in God's hands. We're putting what I, we want Look what it says in verse 5. Commit thy way. Thy way is what you're doing. It's the path you're on. Just commit it to the Lord. Put it in God's hands. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? Put it in God's hands. He's the burden bearer. Put it in, roll it over on the Lord. And we know sometimes you put it in the, over on the Lord, and sometimes before you know it, you're carrying it again. But just keep putting it back on the Lord. So waiting doesn't mean we're doing nothing. We're waiting on God to do something. We're waiting on God to work. But we're not just idle. We're trusting in the Lord. We're putting our burdens over on the Lord. We're doing what God has given us to do. We're delighting ourselves in the Lord. And we're committing our way to Him. And then verse 7 says, and this is kind of another way of saying what we've already said, but verse 7 says, rest in the Lord. And the word rest there means to just be silent and at peace in the Lord. You can't fix it anyway. I mean, if, if, I, you know, if I have a flat tire, I'm going to try to fix it. I think probably I can fix it. But most of the things in our life, I, a lot of them, we don't know how to fix. We, we can't fix them. We, I can't fix this, the craziness, the craziness that's in our culture. You know, you can't get away from it. You can't hide from it. You can't change it. The emotional craziness, the political craziness, the, the, all the deception and lies. I mean, they're just they, for, about everything, about the virus, about the election, about everything. It's just so much misinformation. So what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, we're supposed to trust in the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. And I complain about stuff. You know, you stay around me long enough, I'll complain about something. 
But you know what? Complaining never fixed anything. And I think one of the traps for Christians, we get caught up in that. We get caught up in all this negativism and, and you know, trying to expose everything and whatever. And you know what it does? It, it doesn't provi- produce peace. It doesn't produce rest. This is what God wants for us. One last thing I want to notice in verse 34, and this is really the verse that I've spent most of my time thinking about in recent days, but look, verse 34 says, Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Again, there's so many references. This is really the, the, the bulk of what this message is about and the psalm is about. There's so many uh, action verbs that, that we find here having to do with what we're to do while we're waiting. We're not just sitting idly by doing nothing. People say, well, I'm just, I'm just waiting on the Lord. You know? Well, are you trusting in the Lord? Are you, are you um, doing everything you know to do? Trust in the Lord and do good? Are you delighting in the Lord? Are you making the Lord your delight? Are you, are you putting these burdens over on the Lord, committing your way unto Him? And this phrase that I'm looking at here in verse 34 is, wait on the Lord and keep His way. Keep obeying Him. Keep doing what He wants you to do. Kind of goes with that, trust in the Lord and do good. We're, we're to be committed to doing His will. And, you know, I like, I like having... Um, elected officials and government leaders that are sensitive to Christian views. You know, I do like that. That are, you know, and there's a bunch of them in our country. You know, we think of it mostly about the president but or the vice president, but there are, there are a lot of them. In our, they're governors, and, and uh, even in our state, there are a lot of God-fearing men and women who are in elected office, and I thank God for that. I wish there were more of them. But we sort of get accustomed, if we're not careful, to putting our trust in government. And we need these elected officials so we can have our ease and our comfort. And I'm not opposed to that. I am absolutely not opposed to that. But this is what I also know. God may sometimes choose to use discomfort to advance His cause and to help us spiritually. And my personal view is, The day is going to come. I may not live to see it, and I may live to see it. But the day is going to come when everything in this world is going to change so much that people who are accustomed to just sort of putting it in neutral spiritually and just sort of everything goes pretty good. I've got my job. I've got my 401K. I've got my kids around me. The house is paid for or whatever. Then I'm okay. Things are going to, I think things are going to get really rough in this country one of these days, and the whole world for that matter. And if you read the Bible, I think you come to that same conclusion. So much so that Jesus said, when he comes, shall the Son of Man find faith on the earth. It's going to, so I don't know, I'm not saying we're living in that, but I am saying this. As Christians, we need to get, be serious, stay serious, or get serious about what we're supposed to be doing and not just complaining or whatever. We're supposed to be doing the Lord's will. We're supposed to be delighting in the Lord. I'd have been, you know, if if everything in the election would have gone my way, 
I'd have probably woke my wife up and said, praise God, we're on the winning side. You know what I'm saying? We'd, I'd be delighting. But you know what we ought to be delighting in? We ought to be delighting in the Lord. Amen. So waiting is not always easy. But it's not to be idle time. It ought to be time of seeking God and guarding against envy and guarding against anger and, and, and fretting about everything. It ought to be time of delighting in the Lord and obeying God's will. We're to put our trust in Him and not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but our trust in Him. And you know, just saying that to me is comforting, that we can trust in the Lord and we are to trust in the Lord. And if you don't know what that means, if that doesn't mean anything to you, then you ought, you ought to just do a little gut check right now and say, you know, is there something missing in my spiritual life that trusting in the Lord doesn't really resonate with me? Because it's comforting to know, like the song we sang, God will take care of you. And he is and he does and he will. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for uh, the inspiration of the scripture that, Lord, you gave us the inspired word of God penned by the psalmist, not just for us to know the poem or the song or the sentiment that was expressed historically, but for us to know the principles of your word that help us and guide us and strengthen us. We're thankful for it. Father, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you, Father, you never change. God, forgive us for when we look to the world for our source of meaning or our comfort or entertainment rather than learning to delight in you and trust you, have a real relationship of dependence on you. Lord, again this morning, I just thank you for how in so many places, your, by your word just witnesses to us of your ability to take care of your own in miraculous ways. We're thankful for that. And Father, we just pray that we would be doing exactly what Psalm 37 admonishes us to do. While we wait on you, wait on you to work things out, waiting on your timing, waiting on you to deal with the wicked, waiting on you to judge the workers of iniquity, we're not just to be idle. We're going to be trusting you, Lord, and delighting in you and obeying you. As your word says, 